You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. on everybody welcome to this tuesday episode of the locked on vikings podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day and today is twitter tuesday so most of the show is going to be interacting with all of you lovely lovely people and like last week i kind of wanted to do a theme this is kind of fun better than just like this kind of same generic general questions over and over though we'll go back to that in a bit so if you sent me a regular question don't worry i got it down um, but yeah, I, I wanted to ask you all why you think the 2020 Vikings failed. What was the reason? And let's assign some blame. So that's going to be the kind of the goal of today's podcast is to dole out blame to kind of, uh, cosmic factors like luck and like injury luck, stuff like that to people like Kirk Cousins, players, you know, uh, like Dan Bailey and to greater strategy decisions, like what Rick Spielman did in the off season or the way that they kind of generally approached run past dichotomy, stuff like that. And we'll, we'll, we'll rank them all out. That's going to be most of the show today. But first I should probably talk about the kind of biggest news that was reported. If you missed it, it's because it's only a rumor right now, but it's one of those rumors that like will become official soon. <laughs> But it sounds like Gary Kubiak is looking at retirement. It sounds like he's worn out, he's done with the sport, and he is ready to hang him up. And when the Vikings brought him in, it was always kind of a tenuous thing, too, uh, whether or not, you know, he would kind of have it in him. And you kind of would think, well, maybe offensive coordinator, he has that in him. And maybe uh, with head coach is what he had to step down from in Denver because of his health complications and all of that. But it seems like the sport has kind of worn him thin. And it's funny, I just talked about in the last uh, Tuesday mail back episode, uh, one of the reasons that you guys gave for why Mike Zimmer, why you wanted Mike Zimmer to be fired was because, well, he's a defensive minded head coach, which means he's got the defense covered, but he needs a really good offensive mind. And what happens is either that offensive mind is very good and they get hired away, like what's about to happen to the Titans and Arthur Smith, or he's really bad and he gets fired like John Filippo or whatever, right? So that is the, the struggle. And I was kind of like, well, you know, Gary Kubiak is not going to take the head coaching job. So he can be as good as you want and you're not going to lose him to that. But I didn't really mention that he, the, the odds of him retiring. And like literally that day, there was a, a presser with Gary Kubiak where he said some really wishy-washy stuff about how, how he's a year-to-year guy, <laughs> like the day that came out. So really bad timing. But yeah, so this is not ideal, right? The, the Vikings are going to go through their sixth offensive coordinator in as many years, and there's a couple of questions to answer there. I'm going to go over that. First, a, a real one, quick one to mention that the Vikings also made a few roster transactions on Monday. They signed a whole bunch of practice squad players to futures deals. That's the deal where you, hey, you are on the practice squad. We want you to come back to camp. Uh, those players are Zach Bailey, an offensive lineman, Jake Vargas, fullback. He actually played a couple games uh, in the stead of, of CJ Ham, Blake Brandle, the tackle that was their, uh, I think their sixth round pick. Jake Browning, undrafted quarterback from uh, last year. Tay Hayes, uh, cornerback out of Appalachian State. He's been in the league for a couple years. Luther Kirk a uh, safety rookie, undrafted rookie that they were in on and they didn't get him and then they kind of got a hand on him uh, near the end of the year. Nate Stanley, seventh round uh, quarterback and Cordria Tankersley, the practice squad cornerback that had uh, actually ended up on the field for a couple of weeks. 
down the stretch. All of them will be invited back to training camp, and we'll see if any of them can go make the team. But let's go back to the Gary Kubiak stuff, because obviously, so I have a, a piece coming out at Zone Coverage about like what the Vikings lose, right? Because you kind of lose this idea, this degree of experience. You you lose some some deference from Mike Zimmer. You know, Mike Zimmer doesn't feel like when he like when he had Norv Turner, he didn't really feel very inclined to get involved in the offense. He kind of said, "You're Norv Turner, go run an offense." And I feel like he kind of approached Gary Kubiak in a similar way. You're in the room right and you're kind of saying tendencies and you're you know giving them a vibe saying hey maybe we should take a couple more deep shots this week because they have bad corners or something something like that and you're just sort of managing but it's a little bit more of a delegation versus when uh when John Filippo, who was calling plays for I think the first time uh or Kevin Stefanski who was calling plays for the first time he was a lot more involved in that process uh and so you kind of lose that peaceful kind of all right you're Gary Kubiak go go call an offense unless you go get another like legacy offensive coordinator or something. But the problem is you can't just bring in any old offensive coordinator because that creates turnover and you kind of want to minimize the turnover, right? The whole problem of, you know, six offensive coordinators in six years is that it takes a while to get used to an offensive coordinator for players. You know, you have to get used to new communication. I mean, you've all had new coworkers, right? It takes a month or two for you to kind of get used to working with them to get a rapport going and all that. And if you bring in a, a whole new offensive staff, they're probably going to have different terminology that they use there's gonna it's like learning a new language players have even described it it's like i need like duolingo for this so there's absolutely a cost to losing your offensive coordinator every single year um i would still say to the point uh to the discussion from last tuesday i would still say that's probably not a great enough cost to justify firing mike zimmer but like the second and short runs i acknowledge that it is a cost So now you have to go over some options. I might save that for a larger, more in-depth discussion, but real quick, I think the biggest option is uh, a promotion from within because then you don't need to learn any new terminology. It's a lot easier to go out and find like a new quarterbacks coach and then uh, promote Clint Kubiak than it is to go find a new offensive coordinator and and make sure everybody meshes with everything like that. It would be kind of the path of least resistance and the path of most continuity. And there's definitely something to be said for keep Kirk Cousins in same system, the one that he thrives the most in. This has been proven time and time again, and, and keep that intact as much as possible and try to lessen the amount of moving parts. And you can only mitigate it so much, but it would still probably help versus overhauling the whole thing and putting Kirk Cousins in a system that doesn't fit him. And for that, I think the two candidates that are probably going to be given them the heaviest consideration are Clint Kubiak, quarterback's coach, son of Gary, uh, and Rick Dennison, who's been the offensive line coach and the run game coordinator and who has a lot more experience as an offensive coordinator. The offenses that Rick Dennison coordinated, however, were not necessarily the best. Uh, Dennison coordinated a couple of the late, late Mike Shanahan offenses when he was kind of in his last few years as the head coach of the Broncos, the Jay Cutler offenses in Denver. He uh, coordinated some things under Gary Kubiak, but not necessarily like the Texans offenses that were like the Matt Schaub offenses. It's not a great resume as an offensive coordinator. And he certainly doesn't have the legacy that Kubiak does because most of his best accomplishments came as a part of Kubiak offenses rather than, you know, Denison offenses with Kubiak as the head coach or whatever. I don't know. I I feel like him as the offensive coordinator has not necessarily been the move. And I feel like a younger, fresher take on it, like Clint Kubiak, 
could be a, a better idea. But again, I've never met these people, so I'm totally speculating here. And I think it just depends on the interviews. And there are some other things you could bring. Anthony Lynn was just fired from the Los Angeles Chargers. He would be a scheme fit, a really interesting mind that could come in. He did a good job in Buffalo before he got hired away to go be a, the head coach of the Chargers. And the Chargers had some roster building issues that like you could excuse that kind of stuff away uh, there. You know, you pick your your favorite college guy. But again, probably should pick somebody that's doing a, a zone blocking scheme over there. And there are probably a bajillion assistants we can look at from like San Francisco or Green Bay's staff or, or Tennessee's staff to Arthur Smith's staff and see who you can and can't poach uh, to to come in and, and actually be your offensive coordinator if you really wanted to go that route. We'll get a lot more deeply into all of that when the time comes and, and we actually have a chance to kind of sit down and really look and research all of that. We'll do that probably after the Kubiak retirement becomes official and, and final. But I mean, the playoffs haven't even started yet. And if you're like me, even though the Vikings aren't in them and we're all very sad about that, the playoffs are my favorite time of the year. Super Wild Card Weekend is coming up. I love the name of that. Six game Wild Card Weekend. Divisional round is always one of the best rounds in sports. And then, of course, we get to the real stuff. And if you want to get in on some grambling on that, there is only one place that has you covered. One place that we trust. BetOnline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at BetOnline.ag and use that promo code Locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. You can look at Super Bowl futures entirely. For example, I uh, actually did an emotional hedge bet on the Green Bay Packers to win at plus 500. At least if they win, then I, I get my plus 500 bet. You can even bet on who you think the next head coach of all the teams would be. If you listen to Locked On NFL, Ross Jackson and I actually talked about that a ton today. So go check that out as well. But whatever you do, don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code Locked On to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Mercifully, the 2020 season has ended and it's time for a fresh start. Maybe we can all get ourselves a few more wins. So if you're betting this year and you want more wins, listen to Locked On Bets with your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. They're picking college basketball, football, and NBA locks all winter long. Subscribe to Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcasts. So shall we We begin on this mailbag? So you guys came through with a ton of answers to the call that I put out yesterday about one question, a very nebulous, broad-ranging question, and I asked you guys to give me one reason that you think the Vikings failed in 2020. Give me the thing you blame the most. And there was a huge variety of answers, which I love. So what I did was I took all those and then I ranked them. So here's my ranking for why I think uh, the Vikings failed. And we're going to kind of start at the bottom of the list with some things that I actually just don't agree with being true or things that I think are maybe true, but didn't have a huge impact. Uh, but the first one came from Mr. Educational, and he said Zimmer's record when allowing 21 plus points, 16 and 40 and one. So this has been kind of a meme with the Zimmer thing, where when he allows 21 or more points, he loses. When he allows 21 or or, uh, or when he allows 20 or fewer points, he wins. That's kind of a thing with everybody. So 16, 40, and one. I, I looked it up at, on uh, Pro Football Reference. They, they gave me 16, 39, and one. So something's counting wrong. I don't really know. Uh, but whatever, that ranks 15th in the league among teams when you allow 21 or more points. I, I think the trend is really a league-wide thing, and the Vikings are neither here nor there on it. It's certainly not a strength, and there's certainly room for improvement there. But in terms of like a reason that they failed, I don't think this is a thing that's unique to Mike Zimmer or the Vikings. Uh, Arlo84 said, simple, bad drafts, they've been brutally bad. Um, I, I, this 
is probably a longer conversation that we're going to have to have of like evaluating Rick Spielman's drafts because I don't, I'm not too far off you here. 2016 was a pretty bad draft. 2017 isn't working out great, right? Elfline's off the team. Uh, Jaleel Johnson, not excellent. Uh, you know, you had Dalvin Cook, but like it's a running back. Um, so the 2017 draft, not great. And then the 2018 draft is also kind of not turning out as well. Mike Hughes, it's not really the Vikings fault, but it's not working out. Brian O'Neill is fine. But then after that, you get like Jalen Holmes and a kind of a bunch of nobodies. Um, yeah, that's a pretty rough three year stretch. However, 2019, I think is working out really nicely, right? Even Alexander Madison, who's a really low value pick for a third rounder is still like, uh, seems to be a good evaluation. It seems to, like they hit on the evaluation, even though the value of it's pretty rough. Uh, Irv Smith, you're getting a lot out of. Garrett Bradbury, you're getting, I think, a lot out of, even though his his actual performance has been up and down. The Vikings are getting, I think, exactly what they wanted to get out of him, which is being this crazy reach-blocking, uh, crazy kind of athletic zone-blocking center. They are getting that. Uh, the pass protection issues maybe aren't worth it, but that's more of a philosophical thing. And then, of course, the 2020 draft looks like it's an absolute home run with Justin Jefferson, Cameron Dan. Chancellor playing well, Jeff Gladney playing pretty well, even Ezra Cleveland kind of figuring it out and being inconsistent but serviceable on the interior. Uh, it seems like the 2020 draft is going to kind of buck that trend. So I don't think it's difficult for me to blame that uh, that for, for 2020. Basil Hajj says the team refused to make the commitment to either going all in or rebuilding. They tried to split the difference and that gives the worst of both results. A mediocre record that gets you neither into the playoffs nor high up in draft position. A short and long term failure. And I, I agree that this is true. I think the team definitely, uh, I, I think Matt Collar put it where they had a fork in the road, but they tried to go straight. Uh, and I, I, I definitely agree with Matt and I agree with you, uh, Basil Hodge. I'm so sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Uh, but I don't think it has a lot to do with 2020 specifically. I think the dividends from that are going to hit a lot harder in future years. So that's why this is low uh, on the list. Um, and I think, you know, again, like the biggest impact here is that you think, oh, well, you know, they won too many games and now they're drafting 14th. Listen, it's not going to be a problem to to draft 14th. Unless they whiff on the evaluation, they will have uh, plenty opportunity to get a good player. Like there will be good players on the board that will have a great impact on the Vikings that are available for the Vikings to select and it'll be up to them to, to evaluate it right. But I do think on a larger scale, problems in the offseason are a huge thing to blame for 2020. This isn't quite how I'd put it, although if you want to talk about 2021, 2022, uh, some of the cap stuff and all that, I, I definitely agree that this is a legit criticism. Dad Drew just says, curse. I, and, and I think just generally the idea of luck, it was, didn't seem to be a year particularly plagued by weird fumble luck or weird tip luck or anything like that. But you know what? Yeah, a curse. <laughs> Tegan says second and long run plays. Uh, so they, I think, got better about this as the year went on. Um, but yeah, second and long run plays are obviously very bad. There are other play calling, uh, play calling criticisms that I think are higher on the list than that one just because it is so specific. I think it's specific enough to be a smallish deal, but it definitely is something I agree with is bad and that they should correct. Amanda Weinstein said special teams. Uh, only person to say the whole of special teams. A lot of people said kicking in Dan Bailey and stuff, but only Amanda said special teams like as as a whole, unless I missed yours and in which case I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, the, the special teams were a big problem. You had a lot of problems in coverage. You had a big field position issue where you would get to the 30 and then you'd let a big return go or you'd have a bad punt because they had long snapping issues. Special teams were a pretty big issue in this one. But again, compared to some of the other bigger things and in terms of like, why did 2020 fail? It's a little bit of a drop in the bucket, but it's definitely an issue. Uh, not to mention all, you know, all the missed kicks are 
definitely going to headline that. But you still have the Dan Chisano problems and lots of coverage and stuff and the long snapping problems. Special teams, really big issue. And, and we've got to take a real look at Merwan Malouf because I don't think his unit has been very good this year or really last year. I, I don't really mind. They did OK with return yards, I guess. Alexander FM said inevitable consequence of major turnover on defense. Um, and I, I agree that, you know, major turnover will definitely usually cause a, a problem. And of course, you know, you're going from Xavier Rhodes, who's been in the system for like, you know, what, six years. Uh, and you're going to a rookie, right? And the rookie has to start week one and it's a problem. And, and that's kind of a facet of turnover. But that problem in later uh, things on this list is more directly addressed. So that's why I put this one a little bit further down. Um, and I also just think, you know, turnover can be overcome. And I think it's maybe more appropriate to blame the Vikings failure to overcome it than it is to blame the fact that they had to. Garrett from Iowa said Kirk Cousins. Uh, Kirk's pretty low on the list here, uh, but he definitely belongs on it. Not because he did anything particularly awful. He threw some pretty bad interceptions earlier in the season. He also threw a lot of interceptions that kind of skew his interception number because they were like Hail Marys or whatever. Um, but he was ultimately, I think, just kind of like fine. It was like good enough. Uh, but this is kind of the deal with Kirk Cousins where he wasn't, I wouldn't say he's the reason they failed, but he also wasn't the reason they succeeded, right? He's not somebody you succeed because of. He's somebody you succeed with. And I, I think that makes him belong somewhere on this list, but he's not even on the top half of it. And I don't think that Kirk Cousins uh, should be like really held accountable too much for this season. Definitely not more than the stuff I'm about to say. But first, I want to make sure that you all are taking care of your cars and not even just for safety reasons, because obviously, you know, if it gets you from point A to point B, you can drive a lemon around, stay off the back roads. I'm sure you guys can take care of yourself. But man, that can get expensive to maintain a car if you don't take proper care of it. It is way cheaper to buy some oil than it is to, to swap out a whole transmission. And if you go to rockauto.com, a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years, you can shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even a new carpet, whether it's just for your daily drive or maybe your classic car, but you know, black thumb kind of buff, head on over to rockauto.com and see all of the parts available for your car or truck. And please, 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 please write locked on in there. How did you hear about us section when you check out so they know that we sent you. And if you don't, I'm going to have to call up Drew Brees and ask him how to get involved in AdvoCare. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move around the NFL. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with a Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's continue with Twitter Tuesday, and picking up where we left off, Dr. Bops said the strategy of clock control is why he thinks the Vikings failed in 2020. Holding on to the ball with long drives isn't a key to winning. It just creates more randomness with less chances to score. Time of possession shouldn't be the goal. Points should. I definitely agree with that philosophically. Um, in terms of how much to, to like assign blame to it, I would say there's maybe two games where the clock control run strategy 
and I, I, I've looked at this, I'm probably going to do a big long diatribe on it someday because I'm still kind of compiling and, and getting a feel for it. But I think there's two games where I would like call it That's Why We Lost. I think the Titans game, where they were extremely run heavy despite seeing a lot of success in the past game with Justin Jefferson, and uh, the Dallas game was a really, really rough game in kind of a similar way. Although if I recall, there were sc- some schematic reasons why they couldn't go deep. There was some stuff that, that Dallas was doing, but I don't remember uh, super vividly. And then the game in uh, Green Bay, they also were really, really, really run heavy. But that was a weather game. That was a wind game. And actually, that probably helped because they pulled off a pretty intense upset and ended up being one of just three losses uh, the Packers suffered all year because of that that increased randomness where you kind of want to do that when you're an underdog. But when you're not an underdog, you don't want to do that. So I definitely agree there. T. Braun said, poor fourth down play calling and overall lack of offensive creativity. So for the fourth down uh, play calling, this kind of goes in the same category, right? Fourth down play calling, they were 13 of 23. I think that put them about in the middle of the pack in terms of fourth down play calling. So I, I think that's neither here nor there. I would call that a neutral effect on the team. Again, room to improve maybe, but not really a reason why they failed. Um, And the overall lack of offensive creativity, that I actually agree with a little bit more. Um, And I think their offensive play calling, it worked out okay. And you you got young players, you got offensive linemen that have all these miscommunications. Uh, You didn't have a preseason and stuff. So I think their hand was a little forced, but you kind of had a lot of just curl flat mirrored. You had a lot of really uh, vanilla concepts that I think were a little easier to figure out down the stretch. And I think it it required guys like Jefferson and Thielen to do a little bit more as the game wore on, which they were, or as the, the season wore on, which they were capable of doing, but you would like to see them use a few more creative wrinkles. And I think the play designs got kind of cool in December. Kubiak started bringing out some more interesting stuff. Uh, and I think those games were lost for other reasons. And those reasons are higher on the list. Chris said slow response and bad luck with COVID-19. It slowed their approach to free agency and slowed their progression with their rookies. And they lost a lot of training days because of other teams exposure. And I think this absolutely has an effect on the team. And and the team kind of got caught in a very kind of transitive moment. They were really transitioning from like one chapter to the next. And they kind of got caught really needing a normal offseason where they could really approach free agency the way they like to, approach the draft the way they like to, approach the preseason the way they like to. And they couldn't do it. The problem is, you know, everybody kind of dealt with this. So I don't really know if you can put it down as a reason that the Vikings uh, like failed. Slow response to it is also something, although they were kind of on, uh, it sounds like they were on the cutting edge in terms of keeping their team safe for COVID. But yeah, maybe they didn't respond or adapt to it well enough to be able to kind of do the normal things they had to do. Braxton Birch said, I think the team's biggest problem this year was that they were consistently inconsistent from top to bottom, coaching, offense, defense, and special teams. And it was this way the whole year. So this is the one that I kind of picked to represent my whole, like they couldn't get out of a huddle problem. This had a big effect on the season. The idea, they they couldn't get on the same page. There were miscommunications everywhere. A lot of miscommunications on offensive line. But, you know, there's there's miscommunication of, oh, whoops, like I thought my blocking assignment was this guy. You thought this blocking assignment was that guy. And then there's miscommunications where you're just aligning like you heard an entirely different play. And it's the latter one that bothers me a lot. The former one causes problems. The latter one causes catastrophes, and they sure had a lot of catastrophes from that. 
Um, and, and I think that did have a pretty like measurably bad effect on the season. And that's also something that I think is a little easier to fix if you can get a normal preseason. Alex Gorky says, same as always, the franchise's inability to prioritize significant investment in the offensive line. So there's inability and then there's unwillingness, right? And I think there's a little bit of both going on here because there is, to some degree, Rick Spielman's offensive line strategy is go in the fifth round, get a hyper athlete that doesn't know how to play, and we'll kind of swing for the fences and try to get, you know, the best offensive line ever instead of like just an average one but with a low ceiling um and you know they're kind of going for these they, they, they do this with every position where they go for athletes and try to coach them up that's kind of the strategy works great on defensive line works pretty well at wide receiver and stuff not so much on offensive line and maybe they should adapt that strategy um but there's also so that's the unwillingness to spend high capital on in, on on offensive line especially on the interior and then there's the the ability part where they're actually just kind of bad at scouting this too like they're just bad at evaluating offensive linemen so they're already kind of going for uh, low probability linemen and then exacerbating that by not being very good at identifying who the low probability but high upside linemen are. Vladimir Franklin also says uh, the trenches, but he focuses more on the defensive line. What happened to the old Williams wall, uh, Lynn Vall? Without those pieces, Zimmer's team can't win. The pieces to his defense, first strategy, start at defensive tackle, nose tackle, and it flows from there. So yeah, the front seven was a huge problem there. Um, and the trenches in general, right? You gave up. The, uh, Kirk Cousins was the third most pressured quarterback in the league. Obviously difficult to run an offense there. And and despite that, still had the 11th best offense by EPA. I think that that is probably an endorsement of, of Cousins uh, and an endorsement of the scheme as well. But I think that maybe the number one priority for this offseason for me might be fixing the run defense because I think it's the one that's the easiest to fix because you get a lot of players back. So a lot of that work is done for you. And I think getting run defense oriented players are pretty cheap. So I think it's pretty easy to go out and fix it. And that's why I think it's like should be the number one priority because you can go out and do it if you get up and decide to. Doug Nasby, I think, makes one of my favorite points about the uh, the, the problem with the offseason approach, which is that the 2020 blueprint plan for zero errors, they didn't get a lot of depth. They had a lot of rookies starting, and if those rookies were bad or were hurt, you kind of had, you know, if, if the corners didn't work out, they kind of had four viable corners and then Chris Boyd, who I would say was a viable backup. But they had Holton Hill, Mike Hughes, Cam Dantzler, and Jeff Gladdy. All four of those guys missed games. Holton Hill's not even on the team anymore. Mike Hughes is on IR. And they ran out of corners pretty quick. Now, usually you only roster five corners, so it's not like that's an unreasonable plan. But I think the idea of, well, we'll hope we can get by with Cameron Dantzler kind of ignores what if Cameron Dantzler gets hurt and now you're starting Chris Jones and Cordria Tankersley. I think on the whole, they did not give themselves a lot of very good backup plans, which is kind of my criticism with how they handle Kirk Cousins. And I've said that on this show plenty before, but the idea if Kirk Cousins get gets hurt, they're pretty much effed. If they don't want Kirk Cousins anymore, they don't really have any recourse for that. They don't really have, uh, they, they, they didn't give themselves a lot of flexibility here. They kind of said, well, guess we're just going to grab a guy off the street. And that's kind of how we have to do this because everybody's pretty bad. And Stizo said, similar point, um, but I think different enough, overconfidence in their coaching staff, covering evaluation of current talent and ability to coach up young players in a tricky year. So this is the, they kind of willingly went in with rookies and hoped the coaching staff would be able to just sort of make them good. And the coaching staff, I think, did a pretty good, like Durante Jones did a pretty good job with Gladney and Dantzler and getting them ready to play by the end of their first year, I think is impressive. To expect them to be ready week one, and especially with the chance that there wouldn't be a pre 
preseason. And I remember when they made those those decisions, it was pretty like on the table to not have a preseason like that was not they didn't get blindsided with that or anything and just kind of assume that they'd be able to like be okay there. I I think there's a, a lot of hubris in that. And the last one, I think this is the number one reason for the Vikings poor season comes from Legendary-esque. I know it's a boring reason, um, and and I don't think it's particularly satisfying because the only way to fix it is to hope it doesn't happen next year. But he says one reason for the Vikings poor season is simply injuries. Our defense was bad and people blame blame Mike Zimmer for poor defensive construction, but how can you expect him to do anything with zero players? You can't expect him to win games, let alone make it to the playoffs with my uncle off the couch and the dude down the street. He just simply didn't have the players because of injuries. And that's pretty much what I think it boils down to. And listen, I think this is the number one reason. And I mentioned all the other things like they could have prepared better for injuries and we can absolutely indict them for that and talk about that. But I think the fact that the injuries happened and I think while they had like an average number of snaps lost, or I think average like games missed uh, or, or something like that, the importance of those players and including like Michael Pierce's opt out and missing Daniel Hunter all year and Mike Hughes all year and Anthony Barr all year, uh, missing all of those players had a gigantic effect. And yes, the Vikings should have prepared more for it. But I think I blame the fact that it happened more than the fact that the Vikings didn't plan for it happening. Um, but I think I'm open to being talked to to the other side of that issue. But for now, I think that's the the number one thing that happened to the Vikings is their team just kind of got decimated and they ran out of players. And you just kind of have to hope that doesn't happen again next year. And I think what's super like frustratingly difficult about that is the, the recourse, the way to prepare for it better next time is like sign more players, but there's a roster limit. So like, (laughs) what can you really do? You can put six corners on the roster, but if four of them get hurt and you're down to, you know, two corners and you're getting a guy off your practice squad, there's no real way to make that not a problem. The only real way to fix it is to just hope you're not here again next time and do the best you can with your depth. And so hopefully we can avoid that in 2021, but it's not like it's any less probable next year than it was this year. So hopefully I got everything. There's a few things like I think there's some cap management issues where they had like 37 million of dead cap that didn't get mentioned. There's some other stuff that uh, you guys didn't happen to bring up that I think you probably could have if you wanted to. But I think we got most of it, right? I think that was a generally comprehensive way of doling out blame for the Vikings 2020 season. And now we can sort of look forward at some of the decisions the Vikings have to make. Namely, who are they going to keep in-house for 2021. They've already done some of the uh, futures contract stuff, but what about guys like Chris Jones and guys like Todd Davis, uh, Jaleel Johnson, Eric Wilson? What do we do about all of these guys? We learned a lot about that in the week 17 game, and I'm going to watch some of the tape and get back to you about what the Vikings learned and how they went about learning it, because I think that strategy is interesting to evaluate as well. That'll be tomorrow here on Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On podcast network, your team every day. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings and as always, Skull. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4:55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to grammarly.com/podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.